All right, so let's get into the Word this morning. The, uh, uh, we're continuing our series, Exile Studies in First Peter. Our text today is from First Peter chapter 3, uh, verse 7. Now, last week we talked about uh, the good wife. So today we're going to go in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And the word of the Lord reads thusly. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. And today I want to talk to you about this. The man God designs. The man God designs. And so we want to talk about that. So um, perhaps the most, one of the most studied areas of human behavior and existence is that of manhood. Just the other day for fun, I googled the phrase characteristics of a man and nearly 350 million sites or hits became available. 350 million in 0.64 seconds or whatever it was. But in contrast, I decided, well, let me Google characteristics of a woman. And only 148 million sites were available. So I decided to go further, and I said, well, let me Google the phrase characteristics of a godly man, and only 148,000 sites came up. So what does this less than scientific research say to us? (laughs) It says that what it takes to be a man is so important to the fabric of our society that social scientists spend far more time studying men than they do women. Think about that. Almost since the beginning of the human race, men and women have tried desperately to determine what makes a man. More importantly, what are the characteristics or the traits of a good man. Women have offered many and various views as to what makes a good man. Ladies have said everything from things like, a good man can pay my bills, all the way to, a good man loves the Lord. And even some of them say that a good man is one that can pay my bills, and loves the Lord. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) The world has its own idea of what constitutes a man. In fact, there's a website called singlewomansguide.com, and it says that there are eight qualities for a man to be great and not merely good. According to this website, a great man is a gentleman. A great man is direct. He looks you straight in the eye when he's communicating. 
They also say that a great man is faithful. They go further and say that a great man has integrity. Then they say a great man is mature. A great man is self-confident. And then finally they say a great man has a positive attitude. Now notice that nothing in this list suggests that a great man is in right relationship with God. Are y'all going to pray with me today? Too many times women have looked at the world's definition of manhood, settled for that which floated their boat, or the guy that was easy on the eyes. Let me tell you, when you settle for what floats your boat and the guy that's easy on your eyes, you end up blinded and sunk in the lake of life. Why? Why? It is because the definition of manhood has left has been left to a carnal world of pleasure seekers who ignore the traits of manhood as described by the manufacturer of humanity, the one, the only almighty God. If the world determines the type of man you want, ladies, or the type of man you are, men, then you are missing your purpose and falling short of your potential. It is critical to note that ever since Adam, the first man, Satan has targeted men for destruction. Our enemy wants to see men fail to live up to God's definition and purpose for a man. Satan wants men to fail because when men fail, Marriages fail. When men fail, families fail. When men fail, boys and girls fail. When men fail, neighborhoods fail. When men fail, communities fail. Satan knows that when men fail, cities fail. When men fail, states fail. When men fail, nations fall. And he knows that if men fail, the world will fail. Why? Why is this? Why are men so important to the fabric of society? Because Satan is well aware that God designed men to lead, to have dominion over his creation, and to be the vehicle that brings all things back to God. God wants to speak to the hearts of men today. He wants to say that I've designed you, I've made you, I've chosen you to lead people back to me. And that's not to say that women can't lead people to Christ. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying is that when a man is in order, come on, help me here, ladies. When a man is in order, that house is in order, and God's presence will rest in that home when a man is in order. Satan knows. Satan knows that if he can destroy God's definition of men, then the world will simply continue to spiral out of control towards more sin and resulting chaos. Why do you think Male sexuality and self-image 
has been constantly under attack. When have you ever seen in your whole life more men or males acting like, dressing like, and behaving like women? I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine growing up to see something on TV and men in fashion industry wearing a skirt. Now, the only way you had on a skirt, if you had a kilt, you were Scottish. But men are wearing skirts. I saw a picture of a man in some capri pants. The ladies know what capris are. There ain't nothing manly about capris. I mean, really, I mean, it's all up here with it and all that stuff. And that's crazy. I would never want my, come in the house. My wife, look at me. You got on Capri. <laughs> Keep it moving, Buster. Keep it moving. <laughs> but that's what you see today. Men behaving like women. Effeminate in their talk. Mannerisms and gestures. Sometimes I just want to go up to some of them and just say, you need to put a little more bass in your voice. You want to talk to me. I'm just, I'm just saying. Listen, the destruction of manhood and the male in general is tops on Satan's list. And we can prove this once again by looking at popular culture. Ne- nearly every popular television show features a man that is either homosexual, effeminate, or both. And yet we find ourselves cheering on this behavior. Don't y'all, don't y'all get quiet now. We're watching shows with, with that's, that's, that's encouraging and, and glorifying homosexual behavior among men. And we sit there, I can't believe these two men just kissed in the mouth. You watching it. And as long as, and, and listen, Nielsen ratings know how many of y'all watch it. Y'all can look at me if you want to like you don't. Millions of households had these shows on. Men holding hands and gazing into each other's eyes lovingly. Mm -mm. Popular culture proves this. And I want to tell you something. This attack on manhood is not by accident. It's by design. It's the enemy's purpose to attack manhood. And even further, as evidence, consider the constant bombardment women face regarding men. Repeatedly, women are told by their mothers, and yes, some of your mamas told you this, and sometimes even by other men, that they don't need a man to have a family. They don't need a man to lead them. In fact, one of the most popular sayings among women regarding men is, I can do bad all by myself. Lord told me it's going to be quiet right there. <laughs> you got so quiet, say pause and get yourself a drink. It's going to be quiet right there. <laughs> so as we as we see, Satan, our adversary, has infused the sinful and fallen world with images that are in direct conflict with God's image of manhood. <laughs> 
even men have bought into these false images of manhood. And some of these images we have right here, they include the pimp. Some of us bought into that idea that you're going to pimp. You're a pimp. People riding down the street, they call stone. The word pimping ain't easy. It ain't holy either. <laughs> Nothing righteous about that. Then the other one is the player. You know, you got the player. He is a, the one with multiple women. Phone blowing up every five seconds. You know, trying to, trying to, oh, oh let me hurry up and hide this. Because you're with somebody else. Then there's the gangster. That image of manhood. You know, look here, G, I'm gangster. I'm all the way gangster. You don't know how gangster I am. Then there's the I don't care man. You know, that's the guy that just doesn't care about anything. Wife say to you, honey, could you? I don't care. That's the I don't care man, apathetic. Then there's the hustler. You know, always on the hustle, but can't ever seem to have anything of his own. I'm just saying. You know, you living in your woman's, your woman's house, but you on your hustle. You know, honey, I'm out there hustling every day. What you, bring some money in. I never paid my nip school with good intentions. Then after the hustler, there's the baby maker. Oh, look at some of you say, oh. Yeah, some of you ladies in here like, yeah, I met one or two of them. I'm just <laughs> the baby maker is the one that only wants to, to, to produce offspring, but has no intention of taking care of them. Then there's the mama's boy. Time you turn around, he can't get out of his mama's house. Still on his mama's apron. 35 years old. Can't take care of his own. I got to check with my mama. <laughs> Let me tell you something, ladies. You meet a brother and he's 35 or 40 years old. He's still living with his mama. Keep it moving. <laughs> then there's the, the fake Romantic. This is the guy that's the most romantic guy in the world when you first meet him. It's flowers and candy and all that kind of stuff. And as soon as you decide that you're going to marry him, all that romance go out the window. <laughs> then there's the sexual beast. I don't even have to say nothing on that. I'm... <laughs> then the next one is the dude who is, well, just... That dude. <laughs> he just a dude. <laughs> then there's the I gotta be me guy. You know, I just gotta be me. You in my way. I have to be me. You won't let me be me. And then finally, another image that y'all buy into is the forever bachelor. You can have everything except my last name. I can give you children, all of that, but I won't marry you. The forever bachelor. And too many men 
have, a, have embraced these and other false images of what it means to be a man. In fact, some of these things are so deep and some men are so deep in it that they are rearing their sons with these false images as well. You know, the guys who refer to their sons as Lil G and Lil Player. They are rearing their sons in these false images. It is a connection to these false images of manhood that directly impacts the failures of our families. Look at somebody and say it's tight, but it's right. It is also critical, my brothers and sisters, to note that Satan has chased men from their God-ordained roles as husbands and fathers. In the city of Gary, right here where we are, nearly 90% of children grow up in homes without fathers. And the national average for fatherless homes is now over 50%. Men are being tricked into believing the lie that they are not needed nor wanted. And so much so that, that they are now comfortable with allowing the government or their women to rear their children. Don't get it twisted, my brothers and sisters. Nearly any male can make a baby, but it takes a man to raise one. I'm going to tell some of you baby makers out there this. I know ain't nobody here, but they might be watching on the stream. <laughs> Listen, you better be glad you weren't born a lion. King of the jungle. I was watching a documentary the other day, and, and the lion, you know, king of the jungle, big man on campus, all that kind of stuff. In the mating season, if he makes the woman mad, the lioness mad, or she is the least bit dissatisfied after, you know, after loving, <laughs> she attacks him. And some of you ladies are like, let me write that down. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just threw that in for free. I'm glad I wasn't born a lion. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Men, we must lay down the excuses we have used for years regarding the forsaking of our responsibility. Trust me, I know I've been there. I know how easy it seems to just pack up and leave because times are tough. But it's time to end the use of excuses like these. I would be a better man if I had a better woman. Hmm? Some of us have used that excuse. I would be a better man, but times are hard. Some of us have used that excuse. Time's been hard for a long time. I would be a better man, but my daddy wasn't there for me. We've used that excuse for our own behavior. I would be a better man, but the world is against me because of my ethnicity. Let me tell you, I don't care if you black, white, blue, gray, green, whatever color you are. There are examples of success that people have done in the worst of circumstances. Some people who faced 
a racism far worse than anything you see today rose up and were successful because they believed that God made them to be successful. Then some of us are, I would be a better man, but you know how it is. I have to get mine. We've used these excuses. These excuses are weak. And as an, an example of just how far we have fallen away from true manhood. In a manner of speaking, this fall has happened relatively quickly. Just 40 years ago in my lifetime, marriage and family were the normative pattern for people in our nation. Now, if we mention marriage, it is as if we cussed you out and talked about your mama. You tell me I ain't getting married. And this is the case with so-called Christian men. Yes, my brothers and sisters, the church, the people of God, must take responsibility for churning out men who also fail to learn what it takes to be a godly man. We often fail to challenge men to do what's right in the eyes of God because we don't want to confront our own sin. So men aren't holding men accountable. Because when men hold men accountable, it's brother, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, restore him in the spirit of meekness, lest you also be tempted. So we have to take our own responsibility. Now, now, here in this text, Peter gives us two qualities of a Christian husband. And last week we talked about the wife and what the role of the wife is and how to be a godly wife or a good wife. And now Peter is talking about the Christian husband. And there are two qualities that we see here. The first quality of a Christian husband is he lives with his wife in an understanding way. Every man in here say understanding. Understanding Understanding way. Now, Peter says this, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, this may seem self-evident, but a Christian husband lives with his wife. The word here for live was used in antiquity for a marriage that is sexual. In other words, they are in such closeness to each other that intimacy is possible, even probable. They are not simply married on paper. They are married geographically. They are married by address. They don't just live under the same roof. They live together and sleep together. Now, the old KJV, King James Version, translates it like this. Husbands, dwell with your wives. It may sound crazy that this isn't the case, but over the years, many times you see situations where couples were married and one or the other decides they don't want to be divorced, but they don't want to live together either. And these kinds of Perpetual separations say something geographically that is not true spiritually. When you are married, you become one flesh. And that is more than just a sexual union. It is a joining of two lives together. And the living 
of those lives together. These permanently separated but still married situations call for the church to discipline the spouse who has left. And then let the remaining spouse rightly and biblically divorce for abandonment. Now, have we been on our duties? We have not. The church rarely disciplines these situations because we don't want to get in folks' business. Furthermore, if you're thinking about getting married, realize that the person you're marrying will be in your space and in your face for the rest of your life. So choose wisely. Choose in your space and in your face. You know, get out of my face. No. <laughs> but notice that what Peter's saying here is that you're not just roommates in a dorm room. The husband is called to live with the wife in an understanding way. Literally, it means dwell with her according to knowledge, men. Peter is calling the husbands to be students of their wives. And every good student begins with some good questions. How is she wired? What communicates love to her? What are their physical or her physical or emotional or spiritual needs? In fact, I'm going to give a little help today for you married brothers. Especially those of you who keep saying things like, no matter what I do, I can't please her. Play that song for me right now. Now here's what you do, brothers. You compliment what she does. Send her roses just because. If it's violin she loves, you got to let them play. <laughs> you got to dedicate her favorite song. Watch this now. And as your wife, you got to hold her closer all night long. And here's what you got to do. You really got to understand this. You got to love her today. Find 100 ways. Now watch this. This is why you got to do it. Don't forget, there could be an old lover in her memory. If you need her so much more, I'm telling you, brothers, why don't you say? Because here's the thing. Maybe she has it in her mind that she's just wasting her time. So, brothers, ask her to stay. Find 100 ways. All right, thank you so much. I got to bring you all back now. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. Find 100 ways. Now, a more experienced 
theologian and husband, uh, Professor Wayne Grudem, says this about dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. He says, the knowledge Peter intends here may include any knowledge that would be beneficial to the husband-wife relationship. Knowledge of God's purposes and principles for marriage. Knowledge of the wife's desires, goals, and frustrations. Knowledge of her strengths and weaknesses in the physical and uh, emotional and spiritual realms. A husband who lives according to knowledge with his wife will greatly enrich his marital relationship. Yet such knowledge can only be gained, watch this man, can only be gained by the regular study of God's word and regular unhurried times of private fellowship together as a husband and wife. Don't spend time with your wife on the fly. You're on your way somewhere else. And you say, okay, honey, let's, let's spend 30 seconds together. Three minutes here. Five minutes there. You know, you, you, the, the, if you know you want to watch the game, here's the thing. Build the time with your wife before the game. Oh, come on, yeah, ladies, y'all can, y'all can clap your hands. They're not going to get mad at you today because last week was their week, so... <laughs> You have, you, have to, you have to do this. And if, and if you forget to do that, look, spend the extra $10 a month and get you a DVR box from Comcast. You can put that game on pause and spend a whole hour with your wife. And that little green thing just keeps moving. You just, and, it, and you'll never miss a thing. Look at Adam. He's saying, that's right, I got one. <laughs> so we are called to dwell with her. According to knowledge, men, this means that we need to pay attention. A good student pays attention. Never see a good student in class not paying attention. If you dwell with your wife, according to knowledge, pay attention to her. She's driving down the road and she sees a, a, a garden or a flower or orchard and she goes, oh, wow, look at the pretty flowers. Write that down. She loves pretty flowers. Pay attention. So that's the first thing. Now, the second thing that Peter tells us is not only to dwell with her according to knowledge, but he says, show her honor as the weaker vessel. Now, in the passage, it says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. How is the woman weaker? The obvious answer is that on average, a man is physically stronger than a woman on average. Now, I've seen some women I wouldn't want to, you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't fight outside my class. I'm just, <laughs> if I'm a middleweight, I'm going to stay a middleweight. I don't, <laughs> I got no business in the heavyweight class. I'm just saying. And so, and so, I, so they're, 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 you gotta, you have to understand that generally a man is physically stronger. For the most part, the woman is weaker. The truth is that that has led, this has led to the exploitation of women and some tragically and grotesque sins that have been done against women. But this goes beyond the physical and also to the emotional. There are many exceptions, but women tend to be more emotionally fragile as well. Now, come on, man, you got to help me right there. Your wife tend to be a little more emotional. Amen? Amen. 
Ladies, I think I made them mad. They don't say nothing. <laughs> Would y'all look at him and tell him it's okay to say something? Just let him know it's okay. <laughs> but they tend to be more emotionally fragile. You know, any parent who's raised daughters and sons could, could really tell you the difference. You know, my daughter was, was, was so, uh, her emotions were quite different than my boys. You know, my boys were, were, were like, okay, yes, all right. If I look at my daughter like I'm angry, she starts crying. She's 23, and she never wants to have anybody upset with her. And so women are a little bit different. God made women with a more delicate constitution. And that's a good thing. Because as men, you know how we do with our children. They scrape their knee, and what do we do? If your leg is still working. Go back outside and play. (laughs) But ladies, if you see a little scrape on the knee, what does Ashley do with Evan? We got to bandage up. He's going outside. He's got a bandage on. He's he's got a limp working, you know, for a little scratch. But that's just the way God made us. Women are more delicate. That's a good thing because boys would never get that from their fathers. (laughs) The world is filled with exploitation, though, of female weakness. And it's happened far too much. The raping and wife abuse and human trafficking, online predators, all these are sins against women. But Peter calls husbands to honor the delicate beauty and nature of their wives. The highs and lows of the feminine experience are part of how God made them to complement the strengths of the husband. Don't exploit her weaknesses or don't also also do not resent her weaknesses. Honor them. How are you going to treat your car better than you treat your wife? All ladies right now that are not married, if a guy loves his car and treats it better than he treats you, run don't walk, <laughs> don't pass, you know, go direct, run, don't pass, go, don't sell, wait on your $200, run. Get away as fast as you can. Because any man that loves an inanimate object more than he loves you, and I've heard women even make that excuse, well, you know, he really liked that car, he loves that car. He loves the car more than he loves you, let me tell you. He has spent all day waxing, and washing that car and getting it right, take a toothbrush and cleaning the rims. <laughs> and God forbid if you were the man where the, the rims cost more than the car do. <laughs> you know, he's out there polishing all that up, and you ask him for a Big Mac. I don't have no money. Better go on there and fix you a sandwich. That is not the man you want to be with. Brothers, you can't love inanimate things more than you love your wife. So now there may be some of you men who are just saying, I wonder why. Let me, let me hurry up here. Two reasons that you got to do this. Two reasons. First of all, first of all, women are heirs with you. They're heirs with you to the grace of life. Amen. Everybody say grace of life. Grace of life. 
grace of life. Women are heirs with you to the grace of life. Even though men have the leadership role within the family, the wife is still equal in spiritual privilege and eternal importance. They're joint heirs with you to the promise of God. Honor your wife as you would yourself. They're heirs with you in the grace of life. Here's a second reason that you got to do this. And this is a big one. Not only are they heirs with you in the grace of life and you should honor her as you honor yourself. But here's a big one. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Somebody just got set free right there. You've been praying and praying and praying, but you haven't been honoring your wife the way in which God has called you to honor her. You haven't esteemed her. You haven't lifted her up on that that wonderful pedestal of life and honored who she is and what she brings. And Peter says this, that you need to make sure that you dwell with her according to knowledge. You need to make sure that you honor her so that God hears your prayers. That's a praiseworthy moment right there. Sounds a little strange. Well, you know, what does how I love my wife have to do with God hearing my prayers? If you look over to verse 12, Peter quotes Psalm 34, which says God hears the prayers of the righteous. Does he hear the prayers of the unrighteous? Does he heed the prayers of the husband who mistreats his wife? Now watch this. There is a lot of mistreatment of wives that goes on. In the church. Now I'm not going to. To call it out today. But there are women in this room. Right now. And you know who you are. Who have suffered. Some mistreatment. At the hands. Of a Christian. Man. And Christian brother. Let me tell you. Your prayers. Are being hindered. And if your prayers are hindered. Your growth as a believer. Is hindered. Your blessings are hindered. Because you haven't learned. How to love your wife. I knew it wasn't going to be many. Amens there either. If a Christian husband doesn't care. About God's clearly revealed will. Love your wife. Why should God answer his request for guidance or help or anything else? You don't care about loving your wife. Why should God give you any anything that you ask for? Now you know why that for which you have prayed has gone unanswered. Because you haven't loved your wife. To be the man and husband that God designed you to be, we need a great example, brothers. There are many men of honor in the scriptures after whom we could pattern our lives. We could choose to be like Moses, a great leader. But Moses was a hothead. 
We could choose to be like David, a man after God's own heart. But David was a cheater. We could choose Solomon, wiser than any man. But Solomon loved too many women. We could choose Peter himself, but Peter denied Christ in a moment of weakness. So I suggest to you that there is only one man that can truly show us the way of integrity. Only one man that restored manhood to what God designed it to be. And I'm saying to you today, if you need an example, choose Jesus. Choose Christ. Follow Him. Follow Him. Love your wives. Follow Him. Care for her. Follow Him. And follow Him all the way to the cross for your wife. Follow Him all the way to death's door for your wife. Choose Jesus as your example. And know that as you go to the cross for your wife, you will, brothers and sisters or brothers, you will, you will see a resurrection in your marriage. You will see a resurrection in your relationship. But you must pattern your lives after Christ. Stop waiting for her to get right. Stop waiting for her to say, I'm ready. Stop waiting for her to stop doing the things you complain about the most that she does. Yes, she fusses sometimes. Yes, she nags every now and then. But at the end of the day, she has chosen to stay with you. And to Sabe, you know how you are. You know that that in and of itself is a great thing. That she chose to stay with you in all of your frailties, all of your weaknesses, all of your insecurities. As a man, she has said that I'm going to still be your wife. So honor her and love her. And follow Christ in all that you do. God bless you. Stand on your feet all over the room.